silence were interrupted by screams. Maniacal. Hysterical. They would wing at Jason through the impenetrable darkness, smashing against his ears, which had long since become sensitive to the slightest sound. A rat burrowing in the straw. The whimpering of a prisoner in some distant cell. The slow drip of water on the floor when it rained. That, perhaps, was the worst. The constant, rhythmic drip of water that would ultimately turn his tiny cell into a fetid bog. Still, those sounds were his hold on reality, a reminder that life beyond these walls still existed. Odd how the darkness, once his friend, now lay upon him like a behemoth. As a boy he would lie in the dark and dream of unicorns and knights in armour. As a man he'd made love to beautiful women the darkness a blanket as soft as their sighs in his ears. He had also killed, slid silent as a viper through the blackness, and struck without warning, snuffing out life after life. Perhaps he deserved this torment. Then again, perhaps not. Jason laughed. Idiots, all of them. Did they not realize with whom or with what they were dealing? He'd suffered far greater tortures than these. This black confinement was nothing. And the prospect of dying? If he actually gave a damn about that, he would not have spent the last years of his life thumbing his nose at consequence. As his father had always preached, if something is worth fighting for, it is worth dying for. A sound. The jangle of keys and the muttered whispers of nervous jailers. Ah, yes, they would be nervous. They feared him and respected him. The door swung open, spilling blinding light into the cell. Rats scurried through the rotting straw, and the onrush of fresh air washed over him in a cool wave that made him catch his breath. A pair of jailers stepped into the cell, clubs ready, their faces screwed into masks of trepidation. On your feet, Batson, one barked, voice tight, eyes round as coins. His eyes aching from the bright assault, Jason Batson slowly stood. The jailers moved aside, and one pointed at the door with his cudgel. Out with you. Well, no funny business, or we'll bash your head like a bleeding egg. Do you think so? Jason replied with a patient smile, then walked between the cautious guards out into the stone corridor. It felt cavernous compared to the ten-by-ten ten chamber that had been his universe for the last months. One of the guards put down his club and took up leg irons. He went to one knee and clamped the manacles around Jason's ankles, his hands trembling in their haste to be done with the dangerous task. Then he applied the wrist irons, which were attached by a length of heavy chain to Jason's ankles, and jumped away, releasing a relieved breath as he glanced at his companion. The group moved down the corridor past closed cells that muted the ranting from within. They exited the building and entered another. This was softly lit and carpeted, its furnishings glowing with mellow beeswax. A sound of laughter ceased the moment the threesome moved by the office. A short, thin man with a bald head hurried toward them. Imbeciles, he barked, then wagged his finger at them. You were to clean him up first. Good God, he smells like a death pit and doesn't look much better. 
Bathe him, and for heaven's sake shave him, and do something with his hair. Give him some decent clothes while you're at it. That won't be necessary, came another more familiar voice. Harold Dunleavy stepped from his office. Lord Batson shan't be dallying long, I suspect. He smiled at Jason. While he may be lethal, he isn't stupid. Quite the contrary, as a matter of fact. Come along, your lordship. Please, make yourself comfortable while Mr. Sims fetches you a drink. Dunleavy stepped aside as Jason entered the office, his ankle chains dragging the floor and his bare feet depositing bits of rotting straw on the plush oriental rug. He caught a glimpse of his reflection in a mirror before stopping before Dunleavy's desk. Dunleavy moved around the desk, his step hesitant, his gaze locked on Jason. I'll remind you, Batson, that there are guards stationed outside the door. One false move, and you're dead. Jason laughed softly. His face drained of color, and his brow beginning to sweat, Dunleavy cleared his throat. He lowered his voice. You arrogant son of a bitch. I could have you shot this very moment, and no one would be the wiser. I could toss your corpse to my dogs, and who would care? As far as society is concerned, Lord Jason Batson was nothing more than a philandering ne'er-do-well who lived strictly for seducing women and cheating at Faro. The populace knows absolutely nothing about your affiliation with our military or the fact that you are a killer for hire. Subsidized by the Crown, lest you forget. Dunleavy opened a box of cigars and offered one to Jason. Jason ignored him. We had such aspirations for you, Dunleavy said, putting aside the box. Your father was very good in his day. There wasn't an enemy military commander who didn't fear him. But you, ah, you were even more brilliant and lethal than Randolph. You could have been Her Majesty's greatest asset. She's quite distressed about this ugly affair, you know. I would think she would be more distressed over one of her officers murdering women and children. Occasionally examples must be made. Lieutenant Grant was simply following orders. The woman was believed to have had a gun. I hardly think Her Majesty justifies killing the innocent, no matter the cause. I didn't bring you here to debate the debacle. You were wrong. You murdered an officer in cold blood. Then you should have stood me before a firing squad. Why haven't you? Dunleavy stood from his chair. We might yet. That, of course, will depend on you. I'm not in the mood to negotiate. Then again, I never was. Cobra operated on his terms, his allegiance to his men, not yours. And speaking of my men, how are they? Alive, for the time being. That, too, could depend on you. Stop beating about the bush, Harold. You want something. What is it? We have a situation that calls for Cobra's specialized expertise. Jason shrugged. Not interested. The last months of not dodging bullets has given me the opportunity to carefully consider my future. The fact is, Harold, I don't need the Crown's money any longer. My tea plantation off the coast of Ceylon is extremely successful. I'm not getting any younger, either. Thirty-three next month. I want to settle down and not to have to worry that some lunatic from my past is going to crawl out of the woodwork and put a bullet in my head. In short, 
I intend to sail away into the sunset and put memories of Cobra's bloodthirsty escapades out of my mind. He briefly closed his eyes and took a deep breath before saying more quietly, If that's possible. Harold's thin lips curved in spiteful amusement. Wrong, Batson. You'll retire when we say you can retire. Jason slowly turned his grey eyes on Harold. Careful, little man. Need I remind you that I could cross this room and snap your neck so fast you wouldn't know what happened, should I so desire? Now pay very close attention to what I say. I'm done with Cobra. I'm going to retire to Salonia Plantation and bounce babies on my knee, and if you come anywhere close to me again, I'll remove your brains through your nose, piece by piece, while you're still alive. Although hot colour flushed Dunleavy's face, he continued in a monotone. There is talk of mutiny throughout India. Not interested, Harold. In a great part, thanks to our distinguished Marquess of Dalhousie, former Governor-General... Shut up, Harold! The Marquess was most energetic during his tenure. He instigated numerous measures that have left the Indians furious and resentful, and determined to strike a blow against us. As you know, traditionally in India, adopted sons were considered the equal of natural ones for the purposes of succession and inheritance. Dalhousie proclaimed that the practice would no longer be accepted, and states without proper heirs would immediately become part of the British territory. Last year we took over Oud, and I am afraid the resulting backlash has been ugly. The deposed royal family was not given pensions, etc. In short, they are desperate.